Good morning and welcome to day four with the man Frank Scalish live from your studio in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Matt Pangrek with the Fast Talk Live studio in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And we mentioned where we are at, Frank, because we have a new addition to the day four family. I'm very excited about it and a little, you know, nervous and I don't really get nervous. <laughs> I'm really excited. Uh, the Big Play Sports Network is now on board with day four. That's fantastic. Now, if you listen through any of the uh, normal channels through the Bass Zone or BassTalkLive.com website or the BTL YouTube channel, nothing changes. Everything's the same, but we're just simul. I believe the word is simul streaming. Holy smokes. Uh, on the Big Play Network. It's an Ohio-based Ohio based network. Uh, Cleveland, right? And they do all sorts of yes, shows, sports shows with current and former professional athletes from Correct. Ohio, which is you, Frank. I am one of them. <laughs> Although you wouldn't look at me and say he's an athlete. <laughs> I don't know. You're you're in pretty good. You're in pretty good shape. You know, I, I try I try to be. Um, I kind of always have just because of the fishing thing in the boat. Mm -hmm. uh, you're bouncing around all the time, you know, and when you're on the big waters, like, you know, like the St. Lawrence and you're on the big waters, uh, it gets rough and rough water really takes its toll on you if you're out of shape because you're continuously having to adjust your body for the way the boat's moving, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, you'll find out that you have uh, aches and pains in places you never knew you could get them, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. You've talked about it before. You you were like a multi-sport athlete in high school, right? Swimming, correct? We had a whole yeah. show on swimming. You shocked me with your affinity yeah, for swimming. Yeah, diving. I swam. I dove. I skied. Um, I wrestled a little bit, but when I wrestled, I used to get my brains kicked in. I had to wrestle at 132 pounds. So I always had to shed the weight, always had to sit in a sauna. Back then, we would sauna ourselves to death. Uh, to drop weight. And um, at 132 pounds, I was emaciated. My body didn't want to carry that. My body wanted more weight on it than that. Yeah. And I was like a praying mantis out there because I was tall. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so, you know, the draw. And then, of course, of course, the school that I wrestled for, we had some guys that were absolutely insane wrestlers that you would just have no chance against they were all state you mm -hmm. know state finalists and so it was rough so wrestling didn't last long for me um but you know swimming diving skiing that was good i actually have some uh ohio sports connections my dad grew up in lakewood ohio uh so i grew up rooting for the calves and the browns we had the dog bones and like a cleveland Brown's lamp back in the day. This would have been like the <laughs> early have, 90s. You didn't have the lamp with the leg on it. No, <laughs> not like the leg Christmas lamp. Story. We had a we had a dog, a dog pound lamp. So, Outstanding. Uh a lot going on in the fishing world. Uh, we'll touch on that. Today we have a we have a cerebral show lined up for day four today, putting in the work. Yeah, I I I I actually um thought about this because I was talking to some other fishermen. And um, some things that they said surprised me a little bit. So I thought, you know, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to get involved in 
explaining what it takes to be the best or to be as best as you can. Your top um, level, maximizing your potential correct. on the water. Right. It's like, it's like any sport, you know, my son's in college, he's pitching and they're always tweaking his arm. He, he had Tommy John, um, a couple years ago. And so they're tweaking them out, new throwing styles, new this, new that. And when he calls me up and he's talking about his release point or how he's jumping off his foot, um, you know, I started thinking about that and I said, now, how does this relate to what we do? as as bass fishermen um how does this relate and so i sat down i thought about it and i i got a pretty good i think i got a pretty good uh show for us today we're going to get into that every uh once in a while there is a derby that is taking place at the same time as day four and this is day one of the final Bassmaster elite series stop of the 2023 season on the st lawrence river taken out of clayton which really puts lake ontario into play as well as the st lawrence river that thousand islands area st lawrence seaway uh it's got to be uh, it, well it is if you look at Bassmaster, one of the top three fisheries uh in the, the planet yeah right now it's a it's it, you could put uh saint Clair there right now though based on the post-spawn nature of a lot of the saint Clair fish which is what we saw in the elite series uh, a couple weeks ago before the champlain event i would say this is the number one smallmouth fishery on the planet right now as we speak and yeah I they are agree. absolutely slamming them i will agree um i i you know, 15 years ago, I would not agree with you. 15 years ago, I would tell you Lake Erie was the best smallmouth fishery in the world. Um, but Lake Erie's not fishing like it used to, you know, decades ago. It's not fishing near what it used to. It's still a, it's still one of the top 10 smallmouth fisheries on earth, but it's nowhere near what it used to be. St. Clair is, um, it's a monster. I mean, not St. Clair, uh, the St. Lawrence River. Lawrence, it, yeah. it, it, it seems Lawrence like St. Clair... Uh, not only St. Clair, but also Erie is more cyclical for the smallmouth, whereas yeah. the St. Lawrence River is much more stable for that four to six pound class. And then it seems like the other smallmouth fisheries tend to to cycle more as they far do. as you have three or four years of really good quality heavy. And then it I would never say it gets bad, but it's just not the same caliber. And then it right. cycles back again. So let's, let me explain that a little bit. It's not that it's a bad fishery because it's not, mm -hmm. it's still one of the, Lake Erie is still one of the top smallmouth fisheries on earth. Um, but what, but what happens is where if you look at tournament results, let's say there's 125 boater out there. Um, back in the day, everybody would have 15 pounds. The, the entire field, 15 pounds would be zero. In other words, 15 pounds wouldn't cut it uh, uh, at all. You wouldn't do. You would. You wouldn't be near the money. You'd probably be finishing in the bottom of the pack. Um, you look at the results now, and it's the top 25, top 30 guys that have the weight, and then it falls off drastically after that. Where it never used to be like that. I mean, you could literally go out and catch 15, 16 pounds every day. Um, on that lake. Well, it's not like that anymore. You have to be more specific. You're fishing, you're fishing incredibly specific things. You're fishing singular items for singular structure pieces, boulders, et cetera, et cetera, to pluck, you know, two or three off of each rock. And then you're moving to another spot. That's how it's fishing. Now, back in the day, all you needed to know is how deep they were. 
hey, they're in 18 feet. So you run out there, you set a drift sock, and they, you get in 18 feet, throw a drift sock out, let the current blow you three miles down the lake, and you caught 100 bass. And if you don't know how to put a drift sock out, that is in the day four archives. We did an That's entire, true. entire drift, drift sock show. Uh, it's, I wonder it's if a anybody lost. on the lake is using that now or as the paddles and the uh, spot lock kind of taking that place. But there's yeah. still a time and a place. Yeah, you know, the spot lock is weird. Like, I was watching some of the fishing footage this morning before we went live. And um, I've never, <laughs> I have never, ever in my entire life fished any of the Great Lakes or any of the big waters with spot lock. It was never available. And I'm watching these guys in, you know, pretty, pretty decent water, pretty windy, um, catching a fish, spot locking themselves fighting the fish, getting it in the boat. And they're only 10 feet away from where they caught the fish um, because the spot lock holds you in, in your position relatively, you know, within a mm -hmm. radius of your position, where if it was me back in the day, I'd hook that fish. I'd be 40 yards away from the rock pile by the time I landed them and then have to idle back up to the, to the rock pile to fish it. So there's a lot of things in today's technology that really make it easier on the angler. And I don't mean easier like, oh, that means you're going to catch more because the only time you catch more is when you're on them. But um, it makes it easier in your day. You're, you're not, it's not as much of a grind um, to pick up drift socks, start your motor, idle back up, get back on the rock pile. By the time you get back to the exact place you were, it, it, it takes time. There's a big time suck in between all that where you're eliminating it with today's technology. You're eliminating that wasted time, which means more bass in the boat, which is really cool to see. Now you have gone into final events of the season, knowing you need to catch them to make the Bassmaster classic, yeah. uh, to compete for the opens AOY points, kind of get, get into the mind. And this will kind of lead into, uh, what we're talking about today, which is, uh, which is everything you can do to, to get ready to put yourself in position to catch fish, but kind of get into the mind for me for a minute here of what, uh, Welcher and Cobb and cook and some of those, those are the top three guys in the angler right. of the year right now, knowing this is the last one. What's going on in their head right now, knowing that this is the do or die for uh, potentially a once in a lifetime shot at an angler of the year title. Yeah. And the angler of the year titles, by the by, the hardest title to win. And in my opinion, it's the most impressive thing you can do in bass fishing, because that means you've been consistent throughout the mm -hmm. entire season. So that being said, um, when you, when you're fighting it out, um, the point spread in the elites is very minute. We're talking a half a dozen points or so uh, between first and second in the angler of the year race. That's crazy because that one lost fish, one bad decision can take you right out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's where that that's where you have to just fish and only worry about fishing don't worry about the points. Um, it'll be what it'll be. But if you don't land them, it's not going to be there for you. So you just got to put all that stuff on the back burner, all the outside um, minutia that comes piling in when you're, when you're fighting for the top spot. You have to put that behind you. And you just focus on the task at hand. Um, and that's catching them and landing them. And don't worry about anything else because there's nothing you could do about it. 
Was that angler of the year in the back year mind in the Northern Opens in 2009? I mean, you had finishes of third, second, and third. So, you I mean you had three top three finishes? Did you, were you thinking, man, I can win the Opens angler of the year here in 2009 on that? Uh, and I, we've talked about that Sandusky yeah. tournament that you finished third in a lot, but I mean, was that weighing on you going into that? No, actually, um, this is going to sound horrible, but actually, I had. Uh, such a massive lead in the angler of the year race um <laughs> had to show up huh yeah i mean basically if i caught one bass i would win it um mm. it was it, so the decision became this okay uh, i'm i'm in the classic and i have angler of the year pretty much locked angler of the year is locked the classic, I just needed to catch a few and I'd still qualify for the Bassmaster Classic. So I was sitting at home and I'm like, well, I'll, I, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play it totally safe. I'm going to, I am going to just go to one of the harbors, catch five largemouth. I win Angler of the Year. I make the classic. My season's over. And I was sitting at home and I'm like, what the hell are you thinking, dude? You got to go out there and win this thing. So I changed my, I flip-flopped my complete mindset around and um, went out to try to win it. And that, and that's how you have to fish every single event. You have to fish to win. No, no sports, ang no sports player that I know plays the sport not to win. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. You know what I mean? Your baseball team doesn't go out and go, well, all we got to do is, you know, make it to the end of the year. You know what I mean? They go, they plan to win the game. Mm -hmm. So Clay said, I hate it when they take a knee in bass and guys laying up. He's playing it safe. No, nah, you can't do that. You can't do that. I didn't do it. I didn't do it in the final tournament. So what, what wound up happening is we had a day canceled on us. Um, the second day of that event on Erie was canceled due to the weather. And so, you know, what if I would have laid back and then not caught them mm -hmm. and then day two's canceled. Now I turned a three day event into a one day event. Um, that's a dangerous proposition when your, your whole career relies on, you know, how, what you're doing. So I, I, I went back to the way I always fish and that's, fish to win and let the cards fall where they fall what is that movie tin cup where, yeah tin cup. <laughs> where he keep hit, keeps hitting it in the in, in the, the lake over yeah. and over right because he was another one another one refused to lay up but then he he got it across eventually yeah but he it cost him everything <laughs> <laughs> all right let's let's dive into it uh frank we already kind of talked around the the fringes but you have basically an entire system uh, to get ready to be in the yeah. right mind frame when it comes to bass fishing. Right. And so, okay, so th this is, we're going to, I'm going to call this fishing with a purpose. Okay. It's, it's your mental edge. You got to fish with a purpose. So the first and foremost thing is you got to do the work. If you don't do the work, you don't get the gains. So you have to do the work. So the first thing we're going to do is we got to understand the type of lake we're on. What type of lake is it? Is it a natural lake, a reservoir, a grass 
or a structure lake? Is it a river? Is it a river impoundment, canyon lake, blah, blah, blah. You get it. You have to understand what type of lake you're on. That's the first piece of the puzzle that you're going to you know, pull out of this. Um, the second thing you got to realize and you have to look at is what's the dominant bass species in that lake? Is it largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass? Whatever the dominant species is, that's your highest percentage. So mm -hmm. that's what you should be fishing for because there's more of them. And so you see what we're doing. We're going to start eliminating variables as we go along. So the next part of your homework is you research the lake and you, at the time of year you're going down there to the month, to the day, to the week, whatever information you could get as far as this is what I look for. How much weight does it take to win at that time of year, at during that week or whatever? Because now, because you need a gauge in your head. So when you go out and practice, am I, if I catch 14 pounds a day, you might go, that's terrific. And then if you look at the weights for that time of mm -hmm. year and see that 19 pounds is winning it, you're shorting yourself. So you need to rethink what you're doing. So that's the other important thing. Like a lot of people go, what do you care how much it takes to win? Just go catch them. Well, you need a gauge to know how well you're practicing. And, and even if you're just fun fishing, that kind of lets you know what to expect, whether you need right. to keep looking, whether, you know, if you're on a lake where you're just out to have a good time, you don't really know you haven't been there, but it usually takes between 12 and 14 pounds and you start catching a bunch of two and a half pounders. Well, then, you know, you're maximizing your time on that lake. If you're catching two and a half pounders, but every tournament has taken 20 to 25 pounds to win. Well, then maybe your school of, of keepers, you know, you could have a little bit more fun and you know that you can keep searching because that four to five pound bites exist. Right. Exactly. That's a hundred percent true. We fished a, a derby here. Me and my son, Frankie fished a derby here. And, um, I hadn't been on the lake in a million years. And, um, when I was growing up fishing it, um, it would take 18, 19 pounds to win. And then, and so I, I, I had fished Bassmasters for, you know, 11 years or mm -hmm. so hadn't fished the lake and probably 15 years um i brought josh out practicing because he couldn't fish the tournament they threw me in as an alternate anyway i brought josh out practicing and long and short of it is i had that day we had about 19 pounds and i said okay that's cool you know we're gonna we're, we're in good shape you know what i mean we're on the right size we're doing everything good we're in good shape so on the way home i called frankie he was working i called him up i said hey dude blah 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 and he's like how'd you do and i said well we had about 19. he goes holy crap you gotta you gotta go online and look at the weights you're not gonna believe it so i got home i went online i looked at the weights um for the time of year we were fishing it and um nine pounds wins oh, wow them. yeah you're in good shape yeah so i was like oh <laughs> whoa you know what i mean and you know as luck may have it i mean we won it uh frank and i won it but um but here i in my head because i had fished this lake so much as as a young man that i i thought i knew what the deal was um but i didn't because it never fishes like that anymore except in the spring and so i didn't realize that so if i you know I kept practicing and practicing to make sure I'm on the right size of fish. Um, had I known 
what the weight was prior to me going there, I would have cut my practice time back about three hours. Mm-hmm. I would have stopped fishing because I, then I would have known that I'm well in the, well in the range. And so I could have cut my practice time way down as it stood out. I mean, I only practiced for half the day anyway, because I'm like, we can't do any better than this. You know what I mean? But, um, so you have to do research, um, you know, weights, what take, what does it take to win? Um, what was the last predominant pattern going on on the lake? Cause some lakes change. Some lakes are big enough where the patterns change from one end of the lake to the other end of the lake. So you want to know what the predominant patterns are. So it gives you a starting point, essentially. And that's typically in Facebook write-ups, online, yeah. on, on the MLF websites. If there's a lake that has BFLs on it, you can look up weekend series. Right. You can basically Google and type in what Lake X tournament results, and there'll be someone who's done a little write-up. Or if you know someone who's around that area, you can call them up and say, hey, man, you know, you know what's going on? You know, what was the last thing going on? That type of thing. Right. And it's, and today, like here, when I was, when I was starting all this nonsense, we didn't have social media. You didn't um, have the internet. Hell, no. a, electricity had just become a thing. <laughs> we were t- Hell, we just up. got the, we just got the wheel and um, <laughs> looking up the horse and buggy <laughs> towing the rowboat exactly. to the pond. Exactly. But we didn't have the social media um, benefit that, that, that the anglers of today have. So, mm-hmm. That with a click of a button, you can go on, you know, Bass Talk Live and get information. You can go on all kinds of different websites and garnish information. Um, but you have to be careful because a lot of information is not accurate and it's not up to the minute. So that's the other thing. All right. You need up to the minute information. And I don't mean information like, you know, waypoints and stuff right. you're talking about general fishery Just information general so so another thing that you need to you absolutely need to address when you're looking for info is what are the water conditions is it muddy stained clear is it a high water episode is it a low water episode are they drawing the lake down is the lake a current driven lake like lay lake for example mm-hmm. when they're pulling water on lay lake the fish go animalistic and when they stop pooling the water, the fish stagnate. They, they go into a new, neutral feeding mode. Doesn't mean you can't catch them, but you better be ready. It's going to be tough fishing. And so that's kind of the stuff that you need to know. Then you also need to know what, what are the water conditions under normal circumstances? Do I normally have a two-foot visibility, a three-foot, a four-foot, a five-foot? Or in some, in some lakes, you have six inches of visibility. And that's just normal. And you need to know this because that's how you, that's going to predicate depths that you're fishing, what lures you're going to use. Um, you know, the water conditions dictate all of that. So everything, all this information starts to narrow down your search. And, and at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is we're trying to eliminate water before we get to the lake. Mm-hmm. It's going to put us more in a high percentage area. Now, the, I mentioned earlier that I was talking to some friends of mine the other day and found out something that I was, I don't want to say shocked about, but I was, well, I was kind of dumbfounded. So we were talking about, yeah, flabbergasted. Um, we were talking about how far electronics have come today. Mm-hmm. 
with the advent of the first GPSs where it was nothing but a gray screen and a track line to then they put the outline of the lake on them. And it was still a gray screen with a track line and little dots all over mm -hmm. where you put your waypoints. Then they got the mapping units where the th maps come into play. Then they got side imaging. Now they have forward-facing sonar, 360, where you can see 360 degrees around your boat. So we were sitting in the parking lot talking, and Frankie goes, yeah, you realize that if you look at a boat that's got three units on the front of their boat, just the units, they're looking at 3600 bucks a piece at the bare bones minimum, 3600 a piece. Mm -hmm. So they got $11,000 worth of electronics on the nose of their boat let's ignore the two 12 inch screens they got on the dash of their boat okay because now you're talking five units on a boat on a bass boat so it's a lot of units it's a lot of units so i was shocked at how many people have the latest and greatest technology and don't know how to use them don't know what it's telling you can't adjust them properly um, I was absolutely stunned because if I'm spending $12,000 on something to help me fish better, I'm going to learn it mm -hmm. and I'm going to know it. Um, I fished my entire life with 2D sonar and side imaging when side imaging came out. And I was so good on 2D sonar that when side imaging came out, half the stuff that I found with my 2D sonar, I went back to check it with side imaging. Well, I thought on some of the stuff, I thought I was finding a, a an old bridge embankment or a road bed, and it turns out it was just a rock pile of some type that had a weird shape to it and stuff like that. So I learned a lot about what I was actually fishing with the side imaging stuff. So now we bring, let's fast forward to today. Um, this is the very first year that I put um, forward-facing sonar on my boat. Um, and so I'm getting used to it. Um, the first time I've used it with Frankie and his boat, um, just a couple of times, but the first time I really saw it in action was when Matt, you and I were crappie fishing. Yep. That's when I really saw the power of that unit, what it can do for you. So the first thing I did when I got mine on the boat was I went out, I set it up, um, I talked to the bass tank. I talked to Frankie, got my settings dialed in tight where I needed them to be. And I went out crappie fishing because I needed, it was in the springtime and the crappies gang up in big schools. They're easy to find. And I needed to get comfortable with staying with them when they're moving and blah, blah, blah. But there's so many crappies in some of these lakes that, that it's, it's a, I used it as a learning tool right so i could get better with forward facing so needless to say from what you showed me from what frankie showed me from my research i caught the crappies and i caught them pretty good so the other day i went out which was actually two days ago three days ago i went out and i had found a small um culvert rectangular culvert where they had the stream runs through it and and it's a rectangular piece of concrete probably where the mm -hmm. road went over it and the tube runs under it but the road is gone but the culvert's there and it's only about 
two and a half feet wide by maybe three or four feet long. And it looks it looks like a box on forward-facing sonar when I found it. It looked like a box with an angle cut on top of it. Well, I side-imaged it, and it's a it's an old culvert pipe. But anyway, so what I did was I went back to it with forward facing and I, what I wanted to do, and it was really windy out, which, which anybody that uses forward facing sonar knows that the wind's pushing you around. It's hard to stay on that object continuously. So I went out and I practiced and I would make a cast. I would look at how far that object was away from me, guesstimate my cast, let the thing go down. I feel my jig until I hit that solid concrete block boom, and I hit it. And then after a while, I started hitting it on almost every cast because it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to be able to fish it. And so you have to, you have to get in your head. It's like turning a turn signal on in your car. You don't think about it anymore. You've been driving so long. You see the turn, you know where you're turning, you hit the turn. You don't even know you turn the turn signal on. Casting to an object off a of forward-facing sonar has to become that turn signal. That's and, a great point. And so that's what I did. I practiced that for probably an hour. And I kept approaching it from different angles with the wind pushing me into it, with the wind pushing me across it. And I tried to stay on it as I was going by it with my uh, sonar tried to stay on it tried to make that cast to hit it because i'm i just got this stuff so i have to become efficient with it so you must you must you must become insanely efficient on your electronics no matter what whether it's 2d side imaging or forward facing sonar you have to become proficient at it um I I went off on that longer than I wanted to. No, but, but that's so a, that's so true. And I've talked about this before. Uh, obviously, I, I played hockey for twenty some years of my life, and my last year in college, I missed I missed a weekend because I was fishing the Bass Nation National Championship. That's a good reason. College though. college Bass Championship. So I obviously got dropped down to the fourth yeah. line because I mean, hey, coach, I'm missing hockey games to go fishing doesn't really bode well with it everyone was fine with everyone knew that you know i didn't have a future in hockey it was in in fishing in the industry but when i did i got moved to the wing i'd been a center my entire life and i found myself in games thinking about get to the wall work on your chip cover your d man pinch down low and you're thinking stay in your lane am i covering my lane on the breakouts and all that and when you're thinking about it and you're having to make a conscious effort thinking about it you suck well you're slow you're you're, you're not slow rea- because right, you're, you're not, not reacting. reacting and it's like that in fishing and i see that you know there everyone talks about time on the water and they talk about time on the water to understand uh to understand the fish like where the fish are what position or, or what stage the fish are in where they're relating to all that but i think equally as important and often not talked about as much is the familiarity, comfortability, and reps that you're putting in from launching the boat to running the trolling motor to driving the boat to working on the electronics to to fishing to casting to accuracy to all that. If if you're thinking about that, and a lot of people have to think about that because they're only getting their, their boats out once a month, 
a couple times right. a month. But if you're wanting to take it to the next level, you have to fish like you play athletics to where you're oh. not thinking about getting your boat around that boat dock or dialing in your electronics, whether it's forward facing or 2d or driving the boat or anything that has to be completely second nature. Right. So your mind can be a hundred percent and instinctual and not constantly breaking your chain of thought as to how to find react and catch these fish with logistical issues that are standing in your way. That's a hundred percent correct. Um, I can't, I can't, um, emphasize that enough uh so the next step in our in our little game plan here um study to topographical maps study the topo maps you can get them online they have paper maps um you can get all, any map you want on the computer a topographical map you have to look at these lakes um you can narrow down a lake with a topographical map simply by just the broadest of broad patterns and that's a seasonal pattern it's it's a broad pattern because you'll find you'll narrow it down later while you're fishing but you can eliminate you could eliminate 50 percent of the lake before you ever get there and go we're not going to waste time with this um you know for example if if the spawn is over yeah, like there, like there, there you go. Topographical map, pick it up, pull it up, zoom in on it, look at it. So you know if the spawn is over, you're probably not going to the bank. So now you're going to start to look for offshore structure. How far how far the spawn is done will determine how far off the shore you're going to get. Mm -hmm. um, you know from past shows. The stuff that's connected, to structure connected to the mainland works at post-spawn. As summer progresses, you're going to look at structure that's not connected to the mainland. You know all that from, yep. from the past shows, and you could look that stuff up. Um, so that's the main thing with this, with the with the topography. Just look at it. It tells you a lot. Um, everybody, every angler should be able to look at a topo map and read it like they can read a book. It's not difficult. You just have to practice doing it. And then certain spots will stand out for you just by glancing at the map. I had a, I had a friend of mine contact me about a fishing a lake. Um, I've never been on the lake. Hell, I didn't even know where it was. So mm -hmm. I said, well, let me look at the map. So I pulled it up. I looked at the map. He said, can you jot down a couple of places you'd look at? And I said, yeah, I said, uh, I'll call you up and we'll go through it. So I called him up and we went through it. Um, he's sending me pictures of four or five pound bass that he's caught off of three of the places that I showed him, <laughs> which, and I never even been on the lake. So you could do map work and you could have success based off of your map work. Um, the other thing, you know, we were talking about like you, Matt, with the hockey thing, um, Fishing is like any professional sport. You have to spend time learning and becoming very good at all different techniques. You have to take your weakest technique and make it stronger. And so, you know, you have to practice what doesn't work out for you more than what does work out for you. But you have to do it in the right time of year so you're fishing the right patterns, obviously, or you'll never get rewarded for it. Um, you know, one of the things that I used to struggle on was the Ohio River uh, mm -hmm. when I was a young 
kid. I couldn't, I could hardly catch them on the Ohio river. So every spare moment I had, I drove down there and fished that river. And the irony of it is the first Redman regional I ever qualified for, I did it on the Ohio river, um, which was, which, you know, indicated to me that I got over the hump because I started catching them there. And it was, it got kind of easy for me after a while. Um, but I didn't understand the fishery and I had to. So I kept going and kept going and kept going until I did. Um, which is another thing that you got to remember. You're on the water game plan. Um, your strategy for being on the water. I always like to pick a section of the lake that offers me the most of what I need to find in that type of season. And then I'll go from there. So, for example, let's say we're on a lake. The spawn is over. We know the fish are offshore. I'm picking a lake that has the most offshore structure I could find, be it connected to the mainland or not connected to the mainland. And then I'm going to go and start fishing it. And I'm going to be methodical about what I'm doing. I'm going to start out and work my way in because it's summertime. So I have to find out where they are in their progression because it's in the summer they're offshore right mm -hmm. so let's say i get to the lake and i start fishing offshore and i'm not doing very good and as i get closer to the bank i start coming in contact with some fish but it's not what i think it should be and the pattern's not sticking out in my head very well so now i'm going to go even shallower well lo and behold it's the middle of summer i'm throwing a square bill and i'm beating their brains out so where did i miss something well, watercolor. The watercolor was dirtier than normal. And so the offshore fish weren't feeding like they normally feed because they're sight feeding. And your fish sight feed a lot in clean water. So I didn't take into account the watercolor and the water clarity. What's normal on this lake? And sure enough, I get to the bank and I start mashing them doing something that I should have been doing in the spring or the fall. Well, it's not an anomaly. The conditions of the lake dictated the fish's movement. And so you have to pay attention to that. Um, the other thing is when you're fishing, you have to pay attention to the details. Here's the biggest mistake in the world that I see tons of anglers make every single day. They go out and they start catching fish and they are on it. And they're catching them and they're catching a lot of, you know, pound and a half, two pounders and they're dialed in and every, they know everywhere they go and shut their boat down, they're going to catch them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they catch a four pounder by accident or a five pounder by accident. They just say, I'm doing the right thing because I'm catching fish and look, I caught a big one. But how did that big one come? Where did it come from? You know what I mean? How did you catch that big one? Why are you catching all these little ones? And then you caught a big one. Um, there'll be two patterns on every lake. You can pattern small fish or you can pattern big fish. So you have to pay attention to every detail because when you catch a big one, it's telling you something. And if you miss that clue, you're just going to go on and fish and you're going to catch a lot of fish, but you're not going to win anything. Mm -hmm. Here, I, I, a friend of mine, his name was Bobby. He said, dude, I got a tournament. Can you come and practice with me on it? I said, I don't fish that lake all that much, but I'll go with you. So he goes, okay. So we get there and I say, just 
go where you normally go. And I just want to see what he's doing. So he goes and he starts flipping willow bushes. And every willow bush we flipped into, we caught one. It was about a pound, pound and a half, but every willow bush had one in it. Then I catch a four pounder and he goes, see, Frank, I told you they were in the willow bushes. I said, yeah, we go down a little ways longer. We catch a few more one pounders. And then I pitch in and I catch another one over four pounds. He goes, Hank there. He calls me Hank. He goes, Hank, we're in the, we're in what? the, yeah, he calls me. It was a long time joke about okay. Hank Parker. So anyway, okay. <laughs> so it was a, it was a joke about Hank. All Parker. Right. So anyway, so he goes, Hank, they're in the willow bushes. I'm dialed in. I go, they're not in the willow bushes. He goes, we just caught 20 fish. I go, yeah. And we caught two over four pounds. And you know where the two over four pounds came from? He goes, yeah, the bushes. I go, no. I caught both of those fish on a piece of hardwood that was in the water next to the willow bushes. So I said, what we're going to do now is we're not touching a willow bush. We're just going to run down the lake and every piece of hardwood we come to, we're going to pitch on it. Well, every piece of hardwood had a big bass on it. Every one of them. We stopped hooking them. I used a screw lock, cut the hook off, used a screw lock. We stopped, you know, he won the tournament. I told him, if you fish this thing and you fish one willow bush, I'm going to beat your brains in at the ramp. And so, and he fished all the hardwoods and, and won the tournament. There were definitely two distinct patterns going on. The big fish wanted the hardwood. The smaller ones wanted the willow bushes. And so recognizing that led to the win. So you have to pay attention to all the small details, period. Um, stay focused and remember if you go out and you don't catch fish on a practice day, that will tell you as much as if you go out and catch them. You just have to realize that whatever you did, don't do tomorrow and you can start eliminating water that way. So don't get discouraged if you don't catch them. Anyway, like that it. was, yeah, that's it, man. You know what we forgot? What do we forget? The bucket list, dude. We were going to do a lake, a bucket list lake of places that I want to go fish that I've never been on before. Oh, yeah, because last week we did your top 10 right. fisheries that you have right. been on. Correct. All right, let's do it. All right, so we're going to get, we'll do the bucket list. Okay. I wondered why I still, so look, I have a <laughs> sheet and I wondered why I, I had it on there and there it is right there. Okay. Because so I make notes, but then a lot happens in the. Yeah, I, I do the same between. thing. I do the same thing. I got papers all over this place. All right. Yeah. So I've been, I'm into lists. I'm into a lot of lists recently. Uh, and I really enjoyed the top 10 list. I think I guessed six or seven out of your top 10. Not yeah, in yeah. order, but. Well, yeah, it's, they're in they're in no particular order. Uh, but these ones are kind of in a particular order. Yes. Yeah, so these are Frank's list of fisheries oh because you were trying to put one in your top 10 that you'd never been on and i said nah, no that's not gonna fly correct that's how it happened you said no we're not doing that but let's make a list of places you want to go yep okay uh, so so there's okay your list was starting for for the top 10 places you have fish because i found it champlain erie table rock norman amistad gunnersville oneida st Clair, red river and rounding out the top 10 niagara river mm-hmm 
And then the so, thing that got us on the list was you were like Smith Lake, and then you were like, no, oh, it's like Lanier. Lake Lanier, Lanier but I've yeah. never been there. And I was like, okay, now we got to do this list. Okay. So, all right. So, of course, Lanier is going to be my my number one that I want to go to because I love giant spotted bass and I love fishing offshore. And Lanier has the perfect mix of both. So, so Lanier is going to go one on the bucket list. Number two on the bucket list is not a lake in the United States. It's actually in Canada. It's Lake Simcoe. I knew it. Canada. I, I, I knew you'd know that one. And uh, it's, it's Simcoe in Canada because I just got to catch those big small mouths in that clear body of water. It's just something that I got to do. Um, my third lake. That giant bass in there, by the way. Oh, they have. Don't the, they have like weird bait fish and stuff that they eat? Like alewives, alewives, yeah. and all that. Yeah, which is which is great because it's a good it's a good pelagic species. So the bass in there get nice and fat and happy. Now just remember, their growing season is very short. So a big bass in Simcoe is ancient. It's fifteen years old or better. The next lake's going to surprise everybody because I've never been on it. Chickamauga. Really? I've, ne- I've never been on that lake. Um, I want to fish it structure fishing before the grass gets good and everybody starts pounding the grass. I want to fish it as a structure lake, but I'll take whatever it gives me. Um, <laughs> that a boy. That's, that's one of our Canadian boys right there. Um, yeah, I know they have monster jumbo perch, dude. I'd love to ice fish that place. Um, so the <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, whitefish, smoked whitefish is fantastic. By the way, um, stop pulling like- those. Stop pulling those up. I can't read the rest of my list. Well, you don't have to. You just ignore them. I'm just putting them up there. So <laughs> that's awesome. The next lake I want to go to is Cayuga, um, just because I never been there before. And in all honesty, I'm going to say Cayuga, but any of the Finger Lakes would be fine. But you fish me. some. You fished Oneida. Yeah, I fished Oneida. You haven't fished Seneca? You fished Seneca, have you? I've never fished Seneca. Dude, you're like six hours away. Yeah, I know, Matt, but there's a million bodies of water. I'm just one man with just so much time. You follow you me? You just check out for a week <laughs> and do the Finger Lakes and Thousand Islands. Well, that's going to happen. Now, this is going to, my top, my fifth pick is going to surprise everybody. Um, it's not even a lake. It's Oak Orchard Creek. <laughs> what? I have to go catch a lake run brown trout. I've steelhead fished my brains out for decades, and I have never, ever caught a lake run brown trout. I want a brown trout that lives in the Great Lakes and, and then, then migrates, comes, migrates yeah. back to. Yeah, because I want to catch one big giant kiped out crooked mouth male so bad mm-hmm. i want the ugliest nastiest biggest brown trout i could catch um that's fifth um i would, would say you fly fish that yeah oh yeah 100 100 fly fish um i would say now now this list is going to get me in trouble because there's still some of the great lakes that i've not fished that i really want to fish. you're talking about a brown trout like that that's what I'm talking about. Okay. 
Look at how kiped out that thing is. You're talking about that that hook jaw right there and just real girthy. Oh, yeah, dude. The bigger, the uglier, the better. That's my that's my because I've caught some that look they're kind of built like uh, northern pike. They're real skinny with the head and they'll come up like on the White River. I've caught them, but I've never caught one of those. Yeah, the whites are not lake runs. They're they're living the river. Those are German brown trout that were probably stocked there. Um, but we'll talk about the White River in a minute. Uh-oh. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, Falcon Lake. I've never been on Falcon Lake. What? Um, never been on Falcon. Um, I just want to go there just to go there. Um, just to check it out. Okay. Um, and then of course, eighth on my list is the white river. Um, for the very same reason. Wait, that's so I got seven. I got Lanier, Simcoe, Chickamauga, Cayuga, Oak Orchard, and Falcon. And then the white river is number okay. eight. Um, because I just want to fly fish for brown trout. Um, wait, that should be number seven. One, two, three, no, that's four, eight. five, six. Who, who, what's your top seven then? Lanier, Simcoe, Chickamauga, Cayuga, Cayuga. Oak Orchard. Oh, Falcon, that's six. And the White River, seven. Okay. Okay. So I I misnumbered. Um, And the White River for brown trout. And then um, eight, nine, and ten are any lake I have never been on before. I, I, I love going to places I've never been. I just love it. The challenge is incredible, and I love seeing new places. And so that's going to be my last three is any lake I've never been on. So I like your list. I, I think I think that maybe you would be able to pick fishes if you looked out west. Like I think you would you would love that Coeur d'Alene Lake in Idaho that's got the giant walleye and the giant smallmouth in it. Uh Oh, you've done the western stuff though, haven't you? Yeah, I've been I've been to the Delta to Clear Lake. Um, Clear Lake was a freak show. That was a freak show. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I, I think that uh, I think he might be disappointed with Chickamauga now. I think it's getting really blasted and really tough to catch him out there. But it's yeah. still got the history behind it and the kind of fable. Yeah, the chick. The good thing about Chickamauga is it took a lot of pressure off of Gunnersville over the last few years. Yep. Um, Dan Oaks in my backyard. All right, Dano. Yeah. Lake Powell. <laughs> have you have you done Lake Mead and Powell and all no, that? No, I haven't done Mead or Powell. Um, like I said, I'm interested in every any lake I haven't been to. Mm-hmm. Um, just I just like to see the different fisheries that are out there. Um, unfortunately, when you work in the industry, a lot of times you don't have time to do everything you want to do. Right. Um, you know, I have, I have good news for the listeners. Um, what's that? I got a lot of new colors coming out Oh, for Norman, a lot of new stuff, really good stuff. Um, I can't show them to you now, even though I have them all painted, I can't show them to you now, but the first minute I can show you, I will, um, that's really exciting to me. Um, I want to thank all the listeners. Um, the rough water prop is, is going very well. It's nice. going very, that's very well. Todd, the prop guy. Right. So I want to thank you guys. If you're still interested in a rough water prop for your rig, um, you know, call Todd at Hydromotive engineering and, uh, 
and get it done. You can look at was it two episodes ago? Yeah, it talks about Todd. There's a picture of Todd and stuff on there. Yeah, you could go back. To, you can go back to that one and get the phone numbers and stuff. But um, this prop's really dynamic. It's a it's a great tool. It's a very um, cheap insurance policy. Yeah, we have yeah. not ventured over to uh, LureNet lately, and there was something that I saw in there that I found to be interesting. That is a uh, LG, yeah, the, basically an LG bone colored crankbait, which I was like, well, that would totally make sense. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know the it's a, it's a semi transparent herringbone pattern. Um, What's the hair? The herringbone is this part right here with correct. The, okay. Not the chartreuse on the belly or the purple on the top. It's this no. little yeah. skeleton it's style thing on correct. the side is called herringbone. Correct. That's, that's a herringbone pattern. Okay. Um, it's, that's a neat little deal. That's a good little color. Um, you know, I didn't do that color, but it's still a good color. Have you gotten into that? Like, have you actually fish that color a lot because around Oklahoma it's like Grand Lake 10 killer in the, in the winter and early spring that they, they call it electrocution. Uh, it's also known as a LG bone color. Would you not agree with the chartreuse purple back with the herring bone down the side, kind of translucent. That is yeah. like the go-to color. That that's, that's why it was designed. It was designed with that area of the country in mind. Um, to be honest with you. Uh, so it was definitely taken from that, you know, that region. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's been really good. Uh, work's been fun. I, I love what I do and, um, I love this show more than anything. Uh, day four to me is more than your cat Bama. Almost more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just, no, I just really like doing it. Um, I'm thrilled to death to have big play um, with us. Uh, it's exciting to me because I'm a Browns fan freak. Um, the Guardians, which I still can't get used to calling them the Guardians, but but the Guardians and, mm -hmm. of course, the Cavs. Um, you know, it's just great. It's a great venue. Awesome. Uh, like I said, you can check out all the shows over at uh, Big Play sports we're simul streaming with them over there and then there'll be uh, clips of the show following it but uh go check out big play glad to have them on board and uh and carry a day four so we're growing uncle frank we gotta be growing we're, we're expanding that's the key uh, right because if you don't if you're not growing you're not living i i that's that's it <laughs> uh one more peek one more peek at the Elite Series. Boy, it is going to be a bard burner this week. Number one and number two. How, how, drastic the, did, how drastic did the weights change from this morning? Well, Welcher and Cobb are 1-2 right now, and they're the ones that are battling out the Angler of the Year race. They Welcher has 22-12. He's tied with Shakurit, who had the 100 pounds last time they were up there. Uh, and he has 22-12. Welcher has 22-12. And then Cobb has 22-7. So right now they're 1-2 in the standings, which is, I mean, the odds of that happening of two yeah. kind of non-smallmouth guys right now. Uh, and, they're, and they'll stay up there. I mean, those are good weights. There might be a freak show 25 or 26-pound bag. Uh, which obviously if you're you're listening to the, the podcast replay this, you know by now, but I think there'll be a 24, 25 pound bag, but those guys will be with 23 each almost. Those guys will be in the top 10 and it'll be a it'll be a showdown. And then they still have they still got to do it for what three more days. 
Correct. But yeah, so I mean, the smallmouth thing is when you're on them, you know how it is. And unless yeah. there's, you know, up there especially, but unless there's some sort of act of God or you just completely screw yourself yeah. over. You can't, you'll catch the same weight. Yeah. Generally speaking, you'll catch the same weight every day. Insane. What a fishery. It is. All right. Uh, next Thursday. What is today? Today's the 24th. Uh, next Thursday's the 31st. I'll be here. We'll do it live again. Thank same goodness. place, same time on both Fast Talk Live and Big Play. Outstanding. I think we should cue up some music. <laughs> cue the music. <laughs> there it is. All right. Little mental aspect mixed with a little technical aspect. I like today's show. Today's show was putting in the work to maximize your time on the water, whether you're in a tournament or just fun fishing. We'll be back next Thursday. Uncle Frank enjoyed the heck out of it today. I'm going to go watch the rest of the Elite Series tournament. I'm with you. I'm right All with right. you. See ya. <laughs>